0: Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all the editions of our favorite game. We look at what worked, what didn't, what led to better games, as well as what... didn't, and we talk about it all. This series features a deep dive into the blue-covered DMGR series of books. What advice can we take from these books and use in our current games? On the sixth day of edition wars, my DM gave to me creative campaigning. This 2E source book was written by Tony Pryor, Tony Herring, Jonathan Tweet, and Norm Ritchie and was published in 1993. DMGR 5 was the fifth in a series of nine DM-focused books for second edition ad You might recognize these as the blue faux leather softcover books. And today we're coming in with chapter three, What's Old is New. Uh, this is the beginning of Jonathan Tweet's section, um, and shortly after writing this, he would uh, become, I believe, the lead RPG designer for WotC before WotC owned D and
1: I mean, shortly depends on what you consider shortly. I guess this was uh, 1993, and that was right. 1999, and, or
0: yeah. No, know. no, he, no. He became uh, the the lead in '94. He wrote, he, he did every way for them.
1: Oh, yeah. I forgot about Everway. Holy crap. Man, what a cool game that was.
0: Yeah, it just released a uh, second edition. Yeah. Uh, uh, back to the Kickstarter. And uh, um, watsy acquired D&D in was it 95, 96. I'm not looking it up right now. Sorry. Uh, this is a totally I think history podcast. it was podcast, closer right? to
1: ninety-seven. I thought, "What the hell?" Look at I'm, I'm not sure it matters. <laughs> this is the type of minutia that I thrive on, though. So, uh, oh, oh, August ten, nineteen
0: ninety-seven. Very good. Nice. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, you know, fun factoid: uh, WotC has now owned D and D longer than TSR did. Anyway, um, back to creative campaigning. Um, yep. So this is a chapter about um, how to approach the the mechanics of D anD D along some different lines and uh, maybe get some some better results out of what you're doing. Uh, so
1: this is the first part of this book here on page seventy one, mm. where it's actually creatively dealing with the rules of the game right and trying to give you another way to sort of think about how you're adjudicating items versus being advice for how to plot a storyline
0: yep right uh so first up is rolling dice versus abilities um which is to say that we're talking about ability checks mm-hmm. like which- the, the formalized language of ability check isn't all the way there yet
1: right right. but because that's because there really was no skill system still it was it was non-weapon proficiencies that might have something to do with something and that if you wanted to do some sort of and check to see if something can occur you're going to roll a d20 and try to roll under your statistic under under your ability
0: Right. right. Uh, as modified by whatever the modifier of the skill is and the whole thing, whole deal. Or you've got your Ben Barge lift gates business. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and opening stuck doors and stuff from mm-hmm. strength, right. that kind of thing. And then, you, you know, we did all this already. It, we covered this. Why am I saying this again?
1: Well, a because whole
0: episode where we covered skills,
1: I yeah, swear yeah. To God. but because, because I'm, j- because we just have to be clear about this was written in 1993 And so there really, there really, really wasn't a skill system yet because skills and powers came out not until 1995. So, you know, you're, you're talking about a game where people sort of throw around the word skill or ability or task, and there's really no formalized system yet other than roll a D20 if you roll under your strength, then you did it. If you roll under your intelligence, then you did it. Whatever. Right. But it's there's not really, you know, a codified system like like it becomes in third edition where it's skills, there's various ranks, it does very specific things or allows the PC to attempt very specific things, et cetera, et cetera. None of that existed yet, not even in skills and powers yet. So right. just for the audience, right? And I know we covered this a lot in uh, other episodes and whatnot, but just to set that background for why this is being written the way it is.
0: Right. This is us with a, you know, a note from Stan Lee in the corner of the panel telling you to go back to episode, <laughs> right. whatever it was.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Editor's note. Yeah. Um, so this is Rolling Dice for, for disabilities, and it's just talking about basically, isn't it, sort of frustrating when someone with a really great strength fails the check uh, and then someone with a really low strength succeeds the check and you don't really feel like explaining that narratively. Mm-hmm. What if you just weighted the outcomes a lot more than the very swingy d20? Wouldn't that mm-hmm. be nice? And uh, it also was talking about what if you set ability score prereqs to even try it? This is all fine.
1: It's it also kind of- by the way says and by the way if somebody has a really high strength don't even make them roll yep there's also that nugget of advice right um but the thing is that this section is written well enough that you understand why the author is presenting certain things the way that he does right it's laying the foundation
0: the play the gameplay script here gets <laughs> it gets to the a monkey. It's to the point. You know point. exactly yeah. what they want. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs>
0: um, and then determining the ability check um, is, you know, looking at. Uh, something. Uh, this is a little more Well, abstract. So
1: this this whole section oh, right here okay. is really just trying to give you a very slight lesson in probabilities and yep. how if you need to calculate the average roll, like if you're, if you're trying to figure out, well, how is this really different from just rolling a D20? If you yep. want to calculate the average or if you want to do more than one dice, you want to do a lower size die with a modifier. Like how do you calculate how that changes things very quickly. And even if you can't do it in your head, he explains it very easily. If you can't understand the probabilities all that great or all that well or all that intuitively, it's okay. And he sort of describes exactly why what he's saying to do works and how it changes the probabilities.
0: So so he's getting into uh, using different dice expressions for – Uh, more or less predictable situations. So strength and uh, constitution are fairly high predictability, uh, whereas with intelligence, really, really, really intelligent people in our experience just forget things or Mm -hmm. just can't come up with it right now or never learned it. And so it's extremely low predictability, very large die size, Mm -hmm. because. That's a lot of swinginess, is what he's going right. for. And obviously, this didn't catch on, right? Right.
1: Yeah.
0: At least not for for yeah. this. Uh, and that a bunch of different dice expressions model does show up in other games from uh, this time and a little bit before, like Earth Dawn springs to mind, mm-hmm. but they're not used to express predictability of task right. in this way. Right. That's not the goal. Um, so that's interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I like the way that this section is laid out because it really does do a decent job of explaining why this would make a difference and how certain um, certain sets of dice and modifier, different modifiers, changes the probability so that you can make it make your game be more predictable such that a person with a higher strength is more likely to succeed at a strength-based task than a person with a lower strength. And that's that's the easiest to explain because it's sort of the most traditional and obvious, like you said. And when you get into intelligence and wisdom, there's a little more unpredictability with the with what people are able to do with high scores in those two areas. But you can still sway it so that a person with a very low wisdom is less likely to succeed at that task, but they'll still have a chance yep. then, you know, and so it's, it's different. I wish actually some of this had caught on, although I must say that, you know, the way that third edition went with uh, having a unified D 20 system and everything's high role needed mm-hmm. makes sense. And it feels less difficult to understand in terms of yep. probabilities and all that. Um, yep. But I do think that there is an elegance here with some of the ways that he breaks down the differences in, in, in these dice expressions that is, it makes me sad that it's lost a little bit. Right.
0: Right. Well, I, I, you know, I, what I see here makes me think a lot about games like cortex prime that mm-hmm. operate on dice pools and, and, it really matters how likely a D4 is to roll a 1 in a right. lot of Cortex Prime games. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that, that's all part of what I see going on here, it, which is not to say that in any sense like Cam was cribbing Jonathan here, but having right. an understanding of what dice probability means mm-hmm. is just useful all day long.
1: So Um, here's what's funny is you say that this made me think distinctly and specifically about the first part of the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Where Gygax tries to provide a graph and lay out some facts about probability. And basically, he's giving the reasoning why you roll 3d6 to get your your attribute uh, scores. But this section sort of describes it in a in a more fluid way that makes the differences between the 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 different dice expressions more meaningful whereas i think that's uh, more of a writing style issue in part but and and also a goal issue right the goal here in this section is hey here are some different ways you can conceive of trying to have somebody attempt a task. And you can you can change how easy or difficult it is for them to attempt a task based on the n- sort of natural outcome of what you feel about an ability check being high or low. And I'm making the case for showing you why the probability works. Whereas with, with the 1EDMG, it was, here's what you do to roll those stats. And here's why I made it that way. Because this probability shows that moving on, right? Yep. Whereas this, this the goal here is, you know, so the goal there was let me give you the rationale, and now I'm moving on. Here, the goal is let me give you several different ways you could do this, and explain how they're all different but similar, and why it might make a difference in your game.
0: That's absolutely true. I I think that's a very good point. Like, um, there's so much to be said for. Yeah, actually, every DM needs to at least have game design 101 under their belts. Yeah. And, and like, this is a very 101 tabletop design conversation. That's fine and good. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: But the next section, ability versus ability, mm-hmm. it gets to the mind blowing reminder that, oh, yeah, there's not actually a really coherent system for. <laughs> Two direct contests of mm-hmm. ability scores. That's not that's not a thing. Yeah. In in second ed, I don't think it's a thing in first ed. So mm-hmm. it finally enters D and D in 1993. The hell you say?
1: I mean, oh man, was it in anything? But, else? Because
0: like, <laughs> th- this is one of the deep fundamental problems of a roll-under system, right? It is you need to be told the logic that you're going to use for a direct contest since roll high. Isn't it right? Yeah. And like I got the high total. Well, is that good? <laughs> right. <laughs> or is that bad? Yeah. Did, did yeah. you want to get as close as possible to your number, but but not over, or as far from your number as possible? I don't know.
1: Yeah. 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 No. And I, and, and that's the thing, right. But he does a good job of explaining the different options here. Um yep. I can't I'm I, I'm trying I'm trying to think of if there I'm sure there were articles in Dragon magazine about oh, no
0: doubt. No about
1: doubt. chases and how to do different things. Um so I can't imagine this is actually the very first time you know a direct competition with a chase as an example was was written. Um but it's perhaps the most salient in the form of DM specific advice for how to adjudicate something like that and carry that over to other types of scenes in the game.
0: Yeah. Um, but, but I do like, you know, having rules at all for direct and indirect competition. Right. That's very cool. Yep. Um, and you kind of go through the logic of it. Yeah. Um, New ways to use proficiencies is the next section, and that's pr- pretty great, actually, as as just an idea. This is really recognizable from Xanathars. This maps mm-hmm. directly mm-hmm. to the expanded uses for tool proficiencies in Xanathars.
1: Right.
0: Because he's getting into uh, alternate uses for blacksmithing, um, alternate uses for cobbling of all things, mm-hmm. uh, brewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these kinds of things Mm -hmm. etiquette. Yeah. yeah. Like,
1: yeah, basically that's great. He's taking the non weapon proficiencies and saying, look, if you're going to use these in the game, you might as well make them relevant to the adventure that the PCs are experiencing right right it's not just a throwaway like it can be a, just a throwaway oh my family was a blacksmithing family and now i'm an adventurer and that never ever comes into play right or oh it came into play once when i knew something about how to fit a horseshoe and that's it this yep. is basically saying yeah that's fine but if you really want to get the players involved in what their characters are actually doing you can make sure that the adventure has places where it hinges upon a group having someone who knows something about how to do that thing.
0: Right. And And you might as well. This definitely, it still, I think rhymes with Jonathan's work in Ars Magica, Mm
1: -hmm. right?
0: Uh, It's also deeply recognizable from, um, you know, the World of Darkness games, Mm -hmm. which were very much more going to turn on a skill check, even, you know, first edition uh, vampire, right from the beginning, your big table of skills, all the dots was going to be doing that kind of thing. Right. On the LARPing side, it also reminds me of this just legendary game running document that Trace O'Connor put together for, uh, Wildlands South that, that might have had a predecessor in Wildlands North. Don't quote me on that part. But um, it was just how to run a good module. You know, mm-hmm. Here's what we wanted of modules. And it really laser focused on, here are skills that don't get enough love on camera. The, the PC spent build on this. We should let them use it and make them feel cool for it during an adventure.
1: Right. right.
0: Go. And yep. that's what this is. Mm-hmm. The PC spent a choice on it. Make that choice matter. Even if they didn't have in mind that it would matter much. Right. Like a, a choice that you, you thought was a throwaway that is suddenly really cool. That's a, that's a real great emotional hook into the game.
1: Right. Yep.
0: Like, Oh, I can do that thing really mm-hmm. well. Actually neat.
1: <laughs> yep. And then it, it actually gives like a uh, two or three different. Um, yeah. Three, there's three here, a uh, different story hook plot adventure type little you know two or three paragraph yep. little uh you know layouts that that say okay if you were to do this what would you do with these skills well if you have pcs that have animal training here's how you might make that count if they have dancing and etiquette here's how you make that count if they have local history here's how you make that count right and that's valuable in the example format the same way that i was talking about uh, in about the first half of the book in the last episode where I was talking about, I appreciate when they do, when they say to do something and then they give you an example of it. And that's exactly what they're doing here. And the examples are much more concise and, and workable and usable than, than what I was in the previous chapters because he's trying to make a point. And his point is you only have to write one sentence about this skill, to make it count in the adventure and then just have that down in your notes and it'll work for you. Yep. It's um, not, it's not a ton of work. In other words, it's a tiny bit of work on the front end. Here it is. It's two paragraphs or one sentence for each different non-weapon proficiency that your players may have. Boom. There you go. You've got it. Well, You're done.
0: Like, you know what I see in proficiency or an adventure, Sam, this is two E-scale challenges, dude. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's what that is. Mm -hmm.
0: Like these rhyme so closely. Like every one of these, you could just pitch as another um, structure of skill challenge in four E, and no one would blink. It is, it is utterly seamless. Other than just like it doesn't have a success failure uh, tracker, right? And it doesn't do DC setting because it's seconded. We don't have DCs yet, but in concept what's going on here is if you're going to get out of this you got to use your skills so it's a skill challenge right done yep. and i love that I, mm-hmm. I love seeing that here it's a great way to have a game like um this is much more like what a lot of your games and my games are are, are doing mm-hmm. now right yeah yeah uh, it, it isn't mostly you know attack rolls it's a lot of investigation checks it's a lot of like, uh, just embracing the the moment of tension of every skill check, and like I've read *Strixhaven* and I've read uh, *Wild Beyond the Witchlight*. They run a lot like this too. Uh, *Witchlight*, especially, is very, very, very skill driven, mm-hmm. and you know that's all great. Yeah. Um, it's just like this feels. This isn't actually the turn. People were playing. D&D this way since forever. Um, right. As Tracy pointed out last night um, while we were recording our first look on Strixhaven, people played like whatever you think is new since forever. They just weren't the ones writing the books. right? And yeah. mm-hmm. she was pointing that, that out because she'd played a, a School of Magic um, one-shot or brief campaign in 40,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Yep, It, it worked great. It, it had a rollicking good time. Right. Well, <laughs> like it's always that kind of um, re-unearthing a cool idea someone had 20 years mm-hmm. ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, but maybe this time with a bit more purpose-built mechanics, you know, expanding what D&D can comfortably do. Right. Um, but like, this is this is all great. Um, just really nice stuff, um, and then, I mean, this chapter. This chapter keeps getting better mm-hmm. because new ways to use old monsters right. is like these specific use cases aren't revolutionary, but it is going to become the beating heart of foree encounter design
1: mm-hmm.
0: of like you are going to have creatures of different types. They might be uh, the same creature but different stat blocks within the entry. You know, two different null stat blocks for two different combat roles. But even more often than that, 4 loves giving you advice like, this creature pairs well with this creature, and they're doing this kind of thing. Like, that's amazing. That's phenomenal. Um, It is a great way to just make the encounter more interesting because it's not all like uh, 2d4 plus two goblins that (laughs) all have about the same step block. Mm -hmm. So you're facing the same kind of thing as you chew through them. No, they're doing different stuff. That's great.
1: Um, Yeah. So the, so this section talks about, it, it tries to provide you with that kind of, idea of you're not it's not just always a band of goblins it's things that team up together that you might not at first blush think that matches well but for whatever reason they do here's some examples then it talks about um running creatures and and different npcs against an alignment right against what would typically be thought of as the alignment of that creature uh or or basically um setting up the situation in a way where the normal response that the PCs would have to something of that alignment cannot be actioned, right? So oh, right. evil monsters you can't kill, right? Uh, normally, you would just slaughter that orc band that's coming in. But now there's a situation where there's a, diff- there's a reason why you cannot kill them, or in this yep. case, it's bugbear, I think, examples. Um, sure. Whatever. Or or the evil monsters you must make friends with to, you know, to accomplish some sort of goal or good monsters, you know, that you now are set into a situation where you're on the opposite sides of a situation with them. And even though they typically would be good individuals, right? Like the example I think is a dwarf town or something. Sure. and you have to go through there through that area and they have become because of circumstances quite xenophobic and will attack anyone who's not a dwarf on sight so yep. you have to figure out how to deal with that no those that's a group of people you would not otherwise have sparred with um things like that and and it sort of ends with this you know here's this moral dilemma kind of issue here and really all he's saying here and it's it's true with the team up part of this section as well is the key to keeping things interesting and the reason why this is called creative campaigning is you need to start being more creative with the tools that you already have be more yep. creative with the creatures be more creative with alignment be more creative with the situations be more creative more creative than what if you're asking that more creative than you were before that's all that's that's yep. the bar right not more creative than skip williams <laughs> or or Jonathan Tweet or Chris Perkins more creative than you were the last time you did this, yep. right? That's it. And he And this section just provides a ton of examples. But the thing about this, you know, the first part of this book was also examples. But the reason why these examples resonate more is a couple of different things. Number one, they're short. They're shorter. Mm-hmm. So they're meaty, they're concise, and they are meant to be specific examples, but presented as examples in a broader framework. And the broader framework is described succinctly and concisely so that you understand that the example is an example. They don't have to spend five pages talking about how the bugbears, which are normally evil, have been hired by the baron. They spend one paragraph and that's it. Yep. And you know from that, it doesn't have to be a baron. It doesn't have to be bugbears, but it's something. And that situation that's set up has been flipped on its head. And that's all that's needed to make the point, And that's all they do to make the point. They don't spend another four pages on it.
0: Yeah. Now, it's worth pointing out that, uh, especially within Moral Dilemma, uh, I think the last, you know, uh, closing in on 30 years has yeah. <laughs> pushed this so far
1: right.
0: that it has become very uh, okay no stop moral dilemmas like because he gets to well what about when you get to the uh orc non-combatants do you right. slaughter them yeah. Yeah, oh god yeah. can we not have this conversation again i've been having this conversation right. my entire gaming career please stop Is very much. But but
1: I will. That's uh, not
0: the text's fault, right? Right, right. I'm just talking about the trend line we've seen over the last thirty years.
1: But also, I will point out that the reason why that conversation is one that's been had for your entire gaming career and mine is that it's still a relevant conversation because this is the type of thing that has what would be otherwise considered reasonable people disagree with each other, right? Sure. Like that, and so that's why it's, you know, so I'm not saying we need to always rehash the do you kill the orc babies question, but right. um, but there is something to be said for having a moral dilemma. And the thing that that should be said, though, is if you don't have buy-in from the players already, then mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what moral dilemma you give them because they're not going to give yep. to Right. Yep. Like that's, that's the thing. And he kind of says that and kind of not the re- the reason I say he kind of says it is because the whole other eight pages before this were about setting up just that situation where the player is so invested because you're using their non-weapon proficiencies and you're using the things that they have chosen to decide in their character Mm-hmm. You're using that to build them into the world, and that's what's going to give them the buy-in, and that's when the moral dilemma will matter. That's when it becomes a moral dilemma. If if they don't give a crap already, then their PC doesn't give a crap, then who cares? It's not a moral dilemma at that point because they don't yep. care. It's yep. only a moral dilemma if you care.
0: That is absolutely true. Um, but just – you know I'm going to be in favor of uh, any of the, the- – conversations even starts the process of just dismantling alignment.
1: Absolutely.
0: As, as as if the players could know, oh, orcs have evil written on their uh, stat mm-hmm. block. I know they're evil. That's bad. It's not that's not interesting. Um he is not right, but that's doing a different that. episode. And whole, so it, right. I
1: I, I, yeah. I could disagree with you on that. Right in in a, in, a, well, in a different episode, I would discuss. Well, we've with talked
0: you. about this before. We've gotten to I know <laughs> the the place where we agree again on this. Yeah, it's fine. You know, yeah, we don't have fine. to do that here. Yeah. My point is just this text doesn't do the dismantling, but it it feels like it's starting that conversation. Um, so well,
1: I'll say this: the text is basically saying it's okay if alignment is more fluid than the rules slash guidelines say it is at first yep. blush, right? Yep, yep. That's what this book is saying. So you're right. It doesn't quite go to the dismantling, but it does say that that it's okay to flip it. And the thing is that it's okay to flip it because people have so far up until this been taking it as, okay, it's a very rigid structured thing. And what he's saying is, it's not actually a rigid, structured thing. And that's why you can play with it. It's also yep. why there's been conversations every week. <laughs> yeah, right. Since 1976. But anyway.
0: Yep. Um, so then we get to new ways to use an old power, uh, which is just getting you to think about monsters and their features differently. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I mean, Keith Amon absolutely got his book about this onto the shelves of Barnes and Noble. Uh, and I know, cause yep. I saw it yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yep. th- this is the monsters know what they're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Just
0: proto version. Right. Right. So this is a section that absolutely matters. And mm-hmm. like e- even before Keith's book, right. It was a, a he hu- came to be a huge part of um, third and fourth ed to have monsters like, think through the terrain and attack in unexpected ways and all this kind of stuff, just because it makes a really good cinematic moment. Um, right. and, and I assume it was more of a thing in Second Ed than this necessarily gives credit for, but I haven't read that many 2E adventures, so don't quote me on it right now. But I, I feel like Bullywogs overturn your boat uh, using their swimming ability is something you'd see in a Second, second Ed adventure the mechanics for resolving it are just a little pinky, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's not that I, it's not that I think that he's putting these in here because it's never been in an adventure. It's more about, okay, if you're writing your adventure, you know, maybe you haven't read every adventure that's ever been published and now you're writing your own. Here's some things to think about, you know, use the environment is basically what this is saying. Use the environment that this creature would normally be in and they would use it to their advantage. So, so should you. Yep. And then uh, new uses for old treasures. So, so different ways to think about um, gems and, and gold that is yep. that is given out in, in treasure or found in treasure hoards. And then talking about works of art. Uh, this whole, it's only a two page section, but um, it's actually a really good, you know, if you're if you're just giving a ton of loot and you know you can't figure out how to make it so that that maybe that loot isn't as great as it, as the party thinks it is or how is it that you're not ruining the world's economy when you pull, you know, 60,000 <laughs> gold worth of art out of that dungeon right or yeah. you you flood the market in that little tiny fishing village with gold like how does that not you know you you came out with you know 20 gems that are the size of you know giant fists well who the heck's going to buy that thing right like who's got the money to buy that or is the party going to have to sell it for cheaper or is somebody going to come looking for that you know those sorts yep. of things which a lot of us you know intermediate and advanced dms uh have thought about perhaps a sort of novice DM hasn't really thought that much about it, and this yep. describes it perfectly.
0: Oh, yeah. It, when I was running Dragon Heist, I totally had a uh, provenance of recovered art thread mm-hmm. that yeah. the, the PC is just, oh, God, can we offload this to some of our NPC helpers? Yes, you can. <laughs> you absolutely can. I, yeah. I can't actually make following up on this all that fun. I don't think because (laughs) I don't know enough about Mm -hmm. like stolen art recovery to sell that. I just wanted to have a little story. All right, let's go. Let's go. Move on. Move on. Yeah. Nice.
1: Nice. Um, And that leads us to the end of chapter
0: three. Uh, Yep. yep. Uh, That's a, that's a very strong chapter for just um, laying out conversations that are going to keep mattering. Uh, right down to the present day in, in d and
1: I think it's the strongest chapter in the book, honestly.
0: I, uh, I'm i willing to accept that for sure.
1: Even, and and I think some people might disagree with me because of the dice stuff at the beginning, but even with that, I think even that stuff would be wonderful for some 5e DMs to read and to understand, because I think that, not that the D20 is bad, but... But just the idea of the fact that you could use a d4 plus 12. Yep. Right. A- as a viable way, in this case, to think about rolling under your stat, like, yep. could be mind blowing for a fifth edition. DM. I'm not, I'm not saying to port a D4 plus 12 into your game, right? I'm just saying the idea of thinking about probabilities in something more than, oh, well, every number on the D20 equates to a 5%. Like, yeah, that's super easy math in your head once you get used to it, right? But hey... There's a whole other world out there of different probabilities and different ways to play with the game. I'm not saying you should necessarily change your 5e game if you're loving it right now. But just the idea of different dice mechanics is a worthwhile read. And it's only like two pages in the chapter. Otherwise, the rest of the chapter is golden.
0: I will say chapter four is actually no slouch. And it might no. give three a run for its money.
1: Yeah, I, so, I'm not. I don't think Chapter Four is a slouch. I think Chapter Four tries to name a couple of things, and the names didn't catch on.
0: That's super fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, some of them are practices that yeah. are not, are still not in common use. Right there, there were three exploring. I feel, but mm-hmm. they're not in common mm-hmm. use. Yeah. Um,
1: so, just real quick before we get into that, the art on the yeah. facing page of Chapter Four is actually the cover of uh, the Wee Folk basic dnd uh nice person gazetteer about the halflings because those are some halflings uh, writing some kind of i don't know what those are and,
0: and folks this is why art directors buy all the rights to that piece forever
1: that's right <laughs> that's <laughs> they, right they're
0: gonna use it
1: <laughs> but anyway so uh so yes so freestyle
0: but, oh my god it's so it's so 80s this picture
1: Freestyle gaming is a term that is also a very 80s feeling.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, well, so I, um, what I what I want to like lay out here as an idea is that this is the most indie chapter in the book. Th- this is indie gaming, like working its way back to D anD D, right? As Jonathan tweets, writing it.
1: Yeah, um,
0: it, he had uh, worked on Ars Magica by this point. And we're going to see some of the things that matter in Magica* show up here as suggestions for D&D, which is pretty valid. So, so go ahead with Freestyle Gaming, please. I,
1: I also think, though, you know, I, I just for the audience's sake, I don't disagree with Brandis on this. I, I agree with that, but I also think that a lot of this has been worked into the mainstream RPG DNA anyway, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that. I, I hesitate to say, yeah, it's super indie. I think in mm-hmm. 1993, it was super indie. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, I think people would just be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. This is just oh. a, this reading, this is just a small tweak in, in a lot of cases, not all of yep. it, but in a lot of the stuff that's in here is just, oh, well, yeah, that's basically what I do anyway. I just call it something else or I just tweak it slightly differently.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that's wild about listening to a bunch of actual plays, right? Like I, I listen to everything from like Critical Role to D and D Brief to uh, you know It Roll mm-hmm. and uh, Rebels of right. Waterdeep mm-hmm. and uh, all these different shows, and it's great and amazing how many different styles and techniques show up there, and that's just within the lesser infinity of styles that work in an actual play recording, mm-hmm. because for sure not everything does. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Um, um, Critical role is one of the only games in that list that really emphasizes a uh, like grid-based tactical play in that way. Right. Um, anyway, um, I, I just—it's hard to even know what normal is as Five E goes through this you know, year eight of its growth explosion mm-hmm. um, because. People who gamed before, who played D anD D before 2014, are a dwindling minority. It's still a still very large number of people, but a dwindling minority of the actual fan base.
1: Sure, I mean, and I, uh,
0: and so and so normal is just a weird idea now, right? To me, yeah, sure.
1: And and I don't and I don't mean to say normal. That's why I'm not like I. I'm just more saying I feel like a lot of these ideas, even if they didn't sort of get picked up picked up on and used right away. I feel like, and partly maybe this is just hindsight playing on me, right? Because I know Jonathan Tweet played a large role in third edition and in the development of that entire game. And so a lot of this was worked in, maybe not with the same names or terminology, but a lot of it, the ability to do it was worked into the game itself. And even though, you know, third edition is my least favorite edition, but that doesn't mean I don't think it's a good game or that I think that it's poorly designed. Right. Like I, I, that's none of that. Those two statements aren't close to how I feel about it at all. I just don't enjoy it as much as a gaming style, but it, but it's a well-designed game. And I feel like a lot of this made its way in there to a certain extent. Right. Just in Mm -hmm. the same way though, that, you know, like skills and powers and combat and tactics and that sort of thing made it into, Third edition, not all of it, of course, and not everything exactly as presented in those books or whatever, but same idea here. I think they could have taken this whole thing and just written it for third edition language and put it in there and it would have been fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So anyway, so freestyle gaming, freestyle campaigning, basically the idea here is you can run an adventure, a group, a table where the individuals in the adventure are, are literal individuals. They're doing things on their own and you're just being the DM for the individual players as they do those things on their own. And there are, and that's not an idea that I necessarily think is all that wonderful, but what's wonderful about what happens here in this section is it talks about, okay, so if you're going to do that, here's how to maintain interest in all the players while you're focusing on one player or focusing on one PC. And mm-hmm. it talks about how to cut scenes, cut from one scene to another and keep the interest. Like, do you use a cliffhanger or do you finish that scene? Do you uh, do you let them adjudicate do you adjudicate the majority of it and just you know or do you tell them what's going on and then let them think about it or do you have it as a true cliffhanger where they don't actually know even what's going on and you know that sort of conversation is super super valid even for an adventure where you're running a whole team of players together like so the that's why i say like this whole idea of freestyle gaming it's really funny because they present it as oh that's what this chapter is about and then it quickly moves away from that to sure. something that's just really talking about how to improv and how to run a game well, and how to how to be able to deal with it if you've got two players from the party or two PCs from the party are in one room, and the other two PCs walked down the hall and they're in another room, or you know whatever. And how do you keep everybody interested? This answers that question, even though it doesn't tell you it's going to answer that question.
0: Yep, um, like the, the section on the character group and team play. Like- mm-hmm. Don't split the party is sort of the wisdom you need until you Mm -hmm. don't need it anymore, which is honestly pretty early in your in your DMing journey.
1: Well, until Um, you get to the con con, convention play section, the con play section, where he mm -hmm. basically says again, okay, don't split the party if you're playing at a con because it's a different situation. But yeah,
0: yeah. that's correct. Yeah, Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, Just like techniques for maintaining uh, tension and attention. Um, during uh, a split-up party, that's that's important classic mm-hmm. stuff. Absolutely. Um, I don't think he actually gets into blue booking, but it's one of the other classic answers.
1: hmm
0: Yeah. Um, and blue booking, for any of our listeners who aren't familiar, is basically having you know a, 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 a lined paper composition book that the, the player and GM pass back and forth for... Uh, having a secret sideline right right. Uh, I've also certainly you know had a player step in another room with me to have a solo mm-hmm. scene mm-hmm. that I knew was going to be just a, a few moments.
1: right. And it actually talks about that here and it talks about the consequences of that versus doing it in the open and and then if the play if the other pcs, if the other players hear that scene, how do they deal with it? Are they expected to feign ignorance at, at when they're their PC or are they expected to act on that? Or is it okay if they act on that? Like all of that sort of that conversations in here, which is why I say that's also not about that freestyle gaming thing. Yep. Th- this yep. is good actionable advice for anybody running any kind of D D game.
0: Yep. I agree with that. Yep. This is good. Good stuff. Um, not. Necessary for every adventure, and uh, there's a lot of published adventures in particular that they don't really call for this all that much, right? It's fine, are yeah. fine without it, yeah, but it's fine. Definitely, I think, uh, if you're running Strixhaven, uh, like the kinds of encounters and relationship encounters that I'm seeing in that book, like you're gonna need a bunch of this. Mm-hmm. Th- this is. This is not the only place you can get this advice, not by a long shot, but if if you need advice on how to handle a bunch of uh, solo moments and, and short scenes, this is, you know, a good solid primer.
1: Yeah, you could just as easily name this section, this whole entire section, this chapter is called Freestyle Campaigning. You could name it, you know solo playing in a team or solo solo gaming with a team or something like that. And it would be just as good of a description. And it would, it would encompass, I think more, they're they're trying to almost coin a term here that, that doesn't, doesn't really matter. Right. But it's so non-descriptive for what's (laughs) right. Like I get where they're going, but you know, the same thing with the word jamming they're talking about calling. So jamming is, is, you know, uh, if you let the, if you're focusing on one particular PC and you have the other players play some NPCs in that, in that scene, that's jamming. Yep. I've never called it that. Right. I don't know where that term comes from. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure if it, ha- what it's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that facetiously as if, well, obviously it's not a valid term. I'm just saying, I don't know where it comes from and I've never used right.
0: it. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that term for it, Yeah, but. I, folks, I come from a LARPing background. This is how we work,
1: right? And and you know, as you had mentioned earlier, like this is something that I was doing even before this was in this book, right? Yeah. Like yep. I've done this because it's super fun to have players get to play some NPCs, and I did it. Uh, I did it early on in in my D and D brief, even. So I've been I've done it even now in fifth edition. So yeah. Um. You know, this is although that was a much shorter scene. It didn't really
0: was used for particularly good effect in a dream sequence, I think, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. It was uh, Imran's dream uh of, of going into the library. But anyway, yep. so the thing is, like, I, the name of the term, despite that, uh, who cares about the name of the term? But again, this is really good, actionable advice that tells you what to keep in mind if you're going to assign something like this or ask the players to do something like this. Right. Yep. You know, and it has, you know, like two or three good bullet points about, you know, do you, you might want to tell them, okay, you can create any kind of PC NPC you want, but it can't be an already named NPC that, you know, is powerful in the setting. Right. Or it can't be somebody that you already, you already know. And that's a part of the story. It can't be that it can be literally anybody else though. Um, and that person may or may not become important later or whatever. And and it covers all that in a very short, like one page of information.
0: Yep. Um, the, the freestyle adventures example, very, very, very workable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing, nothing wrong there. Yeah. And. Uh, it feels less. I don't know. Goofy than one of the. Were the ones from a previous chapter. I appreciate this one.
1: Yeah, and it hits that bugbear theme. This whole this whole uh, chapter had a, and and the previous one had a bunch of things about bugbears. I got the idea that Jonathan yeah. Tweet loves bugbears.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, who knows? Definitely, yeah. definitely might. Um. So.
1: And then, and then that's the end of chapter four.
0: <laughs> that's the end of the very brief chapter yeah. four. But that's a that's a high impact chapter. It's, it is stuff to say I mean, and. Um. It's, it cares about technique at the table, not not mechanic, not mechanical technique, but right. pure game running technique. In a way, I really appreciate.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, ch- you might say Chapter Three is about technique at the table mechanically. Yep. And 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 while you're planning the adventure, whereas Chapter Four is about technique at the table.
0: Like socially,
1: non mechanically. Yeah, socially.
0: Yeah, because there's some narrative technique also going into chapter three when you get to the alignment mm-hmm. stuff, right. That that's more narrative yeah, technique. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, that's well, honestly, if they just sold that, so those two chapters as a pamphlet, worthwhile buy, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yep, yep.
0: Um,
1: and then we get to chapter five, yep, which is handling players
0: only with consent. <laughs>
1: And it talks about age, you know, what happens if you have younger players and older players playing together? What happens if the DM is younger than the older players? What happens if the players are all young and the DM is very old and experienced? What happens if there's any kind of lopsidedness at all? Um, then there's a section on gender about oh. how, hey, gee willikers, there's some women that play this game, y'all.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, so yeah. the the like <laughs> right out the gate, like the, the first sentence is just false. I'm sorry, it, it's it's just dead <laughs> wrong. Yeah. A few years ago, this would not even need to be addressed in a book of this type. I defy you to go tell Margaret Weiss that.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, like the fact that he even wrote that sentence in here yeah. shows that it still needed to be. <laughs> yeah, still a, still, to be, to yeah it's still a long way to go. Still a long way to go. Well,
0: right, and like today. Uh, we're recording this, sorry, on uh, 8th December. Um, today, because of the garbage with New TSR um, suing Watsi mm-hmm. for <laughs> some stupid reason, uh, someone was reposting the um, you know, some, some old forum posts by Gygax, Gary Gygax.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: just, oof, boy. The retrograde is strong in that one. Yeah. Whoa. It is bad. Don't like it.
1: Yeah. Samuel, there's, I don't like it. There, There, there is a, a long strain of misogynistic, uh, very um, patriarchy, well, well, patronizing. I mean,
0: he he is, know. in these words specifically, loud and proud about being a biological determinist
1: yes I, and and i know the quote you're talking about and i and i don't yeah, dignify yeah. it by reading it's it for the just,
0: audience oh so bad. go
1: to dragon's foot and ask about it and everybody will point you to it it's fine yeah right uh but
0: it's Man, our language is foul tonight it's uh, great. i'm
1: telling you yeah well you bring this up you know like i mean uh, I, no it's you know, it's legit he, he was just a human being right he had he had flaws just like anybody else has flaws including myself i am not I am not subject to any perfection here.
0: Yeah, but you ain't got those flaws, buddy.
1: Well, the thing is, like, I feel like you know there is a big strain of that that has been running through the gaming community for a very long time and is still active. Oh, for sure, it's still active. I mean, look at the Gamer Gators. Okay. Oh, for sure. Um, and so I I don't. I don't want to necessarily derail this this episode all the way, but just the fact that. This got a half a page about, hey, gee willikers, there's women that play the game. And this was 1993, and he thought it needed to not be said a few years ago because maybe there weren't women players all back then. There absolutely were. Yeah. There were. And like
0: he did literally know that. That, that, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I don't know. Um, Yeah. Just he'd already been around the industry enough to know that for sure. That's fine. But we can move on. Just, I'm thinking about, you know, all of our women friends on Twitter who've had to deal with just people being... Yeah,
1: yeah. It's not fun.
0: So moving on to experience, right? It's, you know, experienced gamers versus newbies. Yep. Not versus. Yeah. Well, Working constructively alongside is what right. he's trying to get to.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right? Cool. Yeah.
0: Um, and especially if, if you're a novice... At the whole game, mm-hmm. but running the game, and some of your players are not novices. They are, right. you know, uh, yeah. geezers like uh, mm. Sam and me here. Uh, <laughs> then, like, what are you, what are you trying to you say, Brandis?
1: That?
0: Well, I'm saying I'm 40. And uh, I'm the spring chicken of this podcast. (laughs) I'm saying I have gaming groups where they're like, oh, 40, you callow youth. Uh,
1: Anyway, (laughs) so the the thing I like about this section actually is that he gives you the drawback of having a very young DM or player, but then he gives you the benefit of it. And then he gives you the drawback of having older players, but with, I I mean, with a lot of, I'm I'm talking about experience wise, right? Yeah, Yeah. Players who've been playing for a long time. And then he gives you the benefit of, right? So he actually gives both sides of the argument and then ends with really, just have fun at your game and make sure that everybody knows the limits. Right, that yep. you can't just tell a new player what to do and how to play their character. You can't just assume they're stupid idiots and don't know anything. Also, sometimes having an older player is a drawback because they just think, "Oh, well, we don't do that in this game." When, hey, you know what? Maybe you could. Yep. So that's and that's what it comes down to, and it's a it's a well written section.
0: Right, and and I've you know, spent my time being kind of. The, one of the young turks of a gaming community right mm-hmm. it was you know upsetting apple carts galore and looking for ways to reclaim discarded ideas by hooking it up to more different ideas yep. that weren't used previously yeah that's yep. definitely been mm-hmm. a thing um <laughs> so so gaming styles um i mean this is um just talking about some players are going to care about your lore. Some are not mm-hmm. be ready for both right. and try to entertain them both. Yep. Like yep.
1: Uh, The, 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 uh, the, um, the traditional answer to having a problem player at the table, you may just need to go talk to them separately. Yep. Not a big deal.
0: Please use your words like adults.
1: Right. And yep.
0: if someone has a problem with you, please listen. Like an adult is mm-hmm. the, the thing that maybe could stand to get appended just a little more often. Yeah. It's it's meant, but sometimes people forget to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, Also,
1: the hey, look! If somebody's just having a bad day and their their head's not in it, it's okay to do something else that day. Like, you don't have to force the game.
0: Yep. Sometimes everyone has a bad day. They come to a session in a lousy mood. I mean, it's not wrong. Nope. Um, I mean, especially right now, I'm gaming with some friends who are really consistently just redlined on stress. Yeah. And there's still coming couple games and we're still playing. And all I can do is hope that I'm giving them a little break, but I'm trying to remember to hear everything kindly and um, you know, be as supportive as I can while also running the game for them to maybe give them a little break of thinking about something other than their stress. Yep. Right. Yep. Because um, that's the kind of friend I want to be. Yep. Um, but this is so good functional stuff. Uh, the thing about we're we starting with a truly shy gamer, while a rarity, something that must be dealt with on occasion. <laughs> that's yeah. That that's interesting because I find that um, there's there's a lot of drive to protect shy players uh in conversations around gaming uh, very possibly more than their kind of demographic presence would require it's hard to really know because some people will self-identify as i'm shy enough to need a bunch of extra help and maybe there are more folks who don't but i don't know
1: yeah um but I like, think the uh, word shy gets uh transposed into a description when sometimes it's just uh not actually shyness but something else. Sure. Right, social sure. anxiety, like, uh the,
0: social anxiety some dis- neurodivergence.
1: At, disple- right. displeasure at being embarrassed, yep. uh feeling silly makes them feel ashamed because of whatever personal situation yep. they have. Those things aren't actually necessarily shyness. Right. It just manifests itself in a way that makes them seem withdrawn and shy is the easiest way to describe that.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, a fairly reasonable blanket term.
1: Sure. Um, so, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that maybe it's uh, it's given a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's fair. He says, you know, a lot of people who are shy. Uh, or self conscious, they take up role playing or theater, for example, as an outlet. And so even if you have to bring them out of their shell, they're doing it because they want to in most cases. Yep. So, you know, that's okay.
0: Right. And, you know, the, the question of whether you should narrate your actions in first person or third this text, you know, is biased toward first, but.
1: Yeah, it kind of makes an assumption. It kind of makes an assumption that yeah. everybody is too, <laughs> like, and that if if you're if you're not, then you're not actually role playing. That it's yeah. not called real role playing. And this
0: is pretty unfair to me because I'll yeah. honestly just bounce back and forth between um, mm-hmm. first and third without thinking about what I'm doing um, in the course of a game from a player.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it says there. This is the quote. It says there are also those gamers who refuse to role play. These are the people right. who treat their like, treat their PC it's there's a typo treat their PC like a playing piece instead of a personality. Yep. they habitually state their character actions in the third person. This can undercut the suspension of disbelief for the other players and detract from there. So you know I, I feel like this is that's why I say it, it makes the assumption that first person is the way to go and that's the assumed right way. Uh, but I gotta tell you, I mean, it depends on the group and the game we're playing and all that kind of other stuff, whether I use first or third, sometimes it depends on my mood. Sure. You know, I mean, it's, it's not, I don't, I don't think, I think the line here drawn between, you know, refuse to role play versus role playing well is, is not a, I think it's a much, uh, more blurry wide line than what this text implies.
0: Yeah. This is a place where I think the conversation has moved on in in a good way. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's fine. Like it's one paragraph out of the whole section mm-hmm. that I'm I'm taking issue with. And whatever, not a big deal. Yeah. Um so convention gaming. Yep. Uh something that even now I have done comparatively a little of.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, and then it, it, sort of then lumps in convention gaming and tournament play. It gives some pretty good advice about the differences between the types of games you're going to be running. If you're running at a con versus, uh, not running at a con. Also, if you're yep. running a tournament game at a con, it's also yet again, a different thing.
0: Um,
1: yep. and compared to a pickup game at a con, right? So it's a decent section. I think it's a little bit outdated. Uh-huh. Um, but not not extremely so. I, I feel like this. Th- the only reason it's outdated is because it actually doesn't include anything more modern. But I think the yeah. advice that's in it is pretty standard and solid.
0: Well, I think this this concept of tournament is much less in favor now than than it might have been then. Sure. Just yeah, like the the competitive concept is not something I see a lot. I'll tell you the advice I wish this book had that it can't possibly have because, you know, technology and mm-hmm. times change is uh, when do I need to sign up for a game at Gen Con in order to actually play? <laughs> right. Yeah. Also, yeah, yeah. brain how? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, because,
0: right. and I, th- that is why I don't play more games at cons because you have to know what the hell you're doing that day and sign up way in advance and that is not how I
1: work. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I am bad at that. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm used to Dragon Con and not gaming there Mm -hmm. because it's it has gaming, but it's not a gaming con. There's a real difference. Yeah. So I don't know how to go to a real gaming con and experience it. It's very, very bad. Yeah. For me.
1: In any way, anyway, anyway. so (laughs) I I'm not a huge con goer either. So especially not now during COVID times. Well, um, no. Uh, But but all of our
0: friends at Paxu, yeah, uh, Mm. I'm hoping you come home healthy and safe.
1: Yes, and I love you. Yeah, and and but but I do still just from what little con experience I have, I do believe that this advice is pretty decent. It's not as you said the tournament play. Tournament play has kind of changed, but but for the most part, the the considerations that he is asking you to have with respect to running a game at a con are very valid all the way down to the, do you walk around the table? Sometimes it's easier to hear players if you're nearer to them because cons are loud. (laughs) Right. Like, you know,
0: Oh yeah. You can, you can tell that he knows everything there is to know about standing on the gaming floor uh, and playing until the wee hours. Like that's, that's absolutely very, very, very real in this text. Right. Um, And you got to pick up games which is, is more kind of convention stuff mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and they'll bring us into the chapter yep um, just sort of it, this is kind of getting a little more meta with the techniques and uh, 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 the sort of social techniques mm-hmm. that we're right. looking at in the previous chapter this is taking a step back to just yeah you actually have to manage people as a dm that's the life sorry yeah
1: yep, yep. um
0: like it, there's been uh over the last i don't know like 10 maybe 15 years at this point going back way into the early history of uh social media uh and the glory days of g plus we miss you g plus well <laughs> i miss you. Um, a lot of conversations around how uh, DMing is like running a a agile team and Mm -hmm. like that would fit very well in here. It's just a very like 15 years later conception of what Jonathan's saying here.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. No, I fully agree. So then, so then we get to chapter six, which is the grand tour and opens with an image of the hand and eye of Vecna, which I can't remember if it's from "Die Vecna Die" or "Vecna Lives." Anyway, it's one of those Vecna modules. It's the the art from that cover, which is you know whatever. Um,
0: Wait, those are those late too-y?
1: Uh It's the it's the cover of WGA Four Vecna Lives, which was nineteen ninety.
0: There it is. Okay, cool.
1: Anyway, so this chapter is is a very has a very basic intent. The intent is let us tell you about the settings that we've produced for D&D and we're going to give you a couple of paragraphs on the flavor of the setting. We're going to tell you about any unique areas, we're going to give you a list of mysteries. Maybe we're going to tell you the personalities that you'll find there, and we're going to tell you what the mundane aspects of the setting are. And then we talk about the Forgotten Realms. Then we talk about Al-Kadim. We talk about Karatur, We talk about Mastika. We talk about Dragonlance. We talk about Spelljammer. We talk about Ravenloft. We talk about Dark Sun, and then we spend seven paragraphs talking about how damn boring Greyhawk is.
0: Yeah, rude.
1: I mean, seriously. it is so <laughs> that is, it's, it's like oh it's like let's talk about all these other settings and talk about how great they are and yeah. uh, except like,
0: like norm richie had an agenda you know what i'm saying yeah
1: except character which we're going to just use the word oriental all the time and Spelljammer, oh, yeah. where we're just going to talk about how it would be boring to just use a spelljammer setting to move from planet to planet and then we get to greyhawk and talk about how boring
0: just well, literally,
1: and, it's been around forever, so it has everything in it, and that spell's boring.
0: And, and uh, Mastika is going to say, uh, you should stay away from running standard characters in the side of the Conquerors. This makes the campaign a standard exploration of the jungle. Some new monsters deal with. Um, also, if the sett- settler colonialism is uh, a mess. yeah, yes. Maybe you want to just dial mm-hmm. that right back. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, so, but right, this chapter yeah. is a marketing pitch. <laughs> Oh, totally. That just doesn't like Greyhawk very much.
1: Um. So let me, uh, and and y- you know this was written right at the, uh, you know yeah. So let me just say that it, it is. Let's see, t- 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 eleven pages that I just wish they would have given to Jonathan Tweet and let him write yes, some more. I get it. You yes, You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I understand it's a marketing pitch, and I get it, but it's really a wasted eleven pages.
0: Uh, it's super low value for sure. It's super um, super low. Value. And, and honestly, like. It it could get to value if they had taken the mysteries section mm-hmm. and just lent all of their uh, all of Norm's like text yeah. space yeah yeah in the chapter to here's the mysteries in this setting yeah I'm going to give you some new ones too well son that's amazing
1: here's what it says about Greyhawk Greyhawk has been around so long that most of the original yeah. mysteries have been explored.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, Sam, hey, you Greyhawk fan. Are you old yet? I think you're old is what he's saying. I'm just come
1: like, come on. <laughs> just, anyway. Someone kicked
0: this puppy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I so here's the thing. This this chapter could have value. If they said, Hey, when you're developing a setting, here are the things you should think about. You when yep. you when you want to write a pitch to your players for playing in this setting, here's what you should do. You should tell them the flavor of the setting. You should give them uh, three unique areas. You should tell them what three unique mysteries are that they might want to explore there or might hear about. You should tell them who the two main personalities are in the area they're going to be in and tell them what the sort of generic mundane aspects of the setting are. Is it standard fantasy or is it more, you know, uh, spell jammer-like, you know what I mean? Like that might be some value added. If you want to, yep. if you want to present it as examples of how to do that instead, it's just, you know, forget the rest of this whole book where we talk about making your own stuff and listen to what we do and publish.
0: Yep. A lot of missed opportunity here. It is a, it is a yeah. sin and a shame. Yeah. Um,
1: so let's move on. Unless, yep. unless you have something else to say about it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, well i mean it's it's certainly a snapshot of ninety three in in setting design and so mm-hmm. on a on a strictly historical note i think it has a little bit of value there um because of what's not listed anything
1: useful about greyhawk
0: well so so no birthright no planescape.
1: oh, oh true you're right you are absolutely right
0: right uh also excuse me where's mistara
1: well because mistara no i know
0: i i, I know right
1: saying. like what well, but Mistara has been around almost as long as greyhawk so For it's sure. so boring sure. <laughs> they oh, don't need right? to say anything they could have just but it's put got two a the hollow same- world in it <laughs> <laughs> this book loves hollow world oh i know right you know think about that though they could have talked steel. about that come on yeah i know yeah, yeah. i know so yeah I, that's why i say though, wasted wasted opportunity wasted space council of worms yeah
0: like again, like, of course, it doesn't name check Planescape and Birthright. This come out in '95.
1: Mm-hmm. No, it no, no, Yeah, so, but yeah, yeah. Sure, but sure. should be in Remember. here for sure. Yeah.
0: No yeah. two ways about it. Um, there are some more settings that, that belong in here, but yeah, just, mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah.
0: It, there's, it, overall, it's a very frustrating chapter. And, um,
1: well, you know, the thing is, it follows such a good set of three chapters.
0: It it looks it looks real rough as a as a contrast.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so finally we get to chapter seven, the medieval mindset. And I I have a new hobby, Sam. (laughs) Would you like to know my new hobby? Sure. It is blasting out tweets taken from this chapter online to get dunked on by medievalists uh, on Twitter. That is my (laughs) new hobby. (laughs) Did Um, you do that? Oh no, but I'm totally gonna (laughs) Okay, yeah. By by that I mean I'm not going to it's just funny.
1: Yeah, as I was reading this, I was like, nope, no, nope, no again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, But let's pretend like what is in here is true. Right. Even if that was the case, this is just somebody's 10-page essay on medieval times.
0: Specifically Norm Richie's, yeah.
1: Right. And there are like two good nuggets in this thing. (laughs) And, but the thing is that they're not even presented in a way that makes you think they're good nuggets. The two good nuggets are about why in a fantasy world that has a spell called cure disease, you still have disease. Uh That's a good nugget. Uh, If you're, if you're not like me, a biologist who's thought about this sort of thing a lot, um, that might be a good nugget for somebody. And What's the other good nugget? I'm trying to find it. Oh, uh, the fact that after his entire treatise, then it talks about uh, adventure possibilities and it kind of goes and gives like five. Oh, it talks about uh, putting the players at odds, putting the party at odds with society. And it gives you like five little, five little like adventure hook type of things to think about. Uh, to put the players in a precarious, put the PCs in a precarious position. Yep. Not as conci- concisely done as the things in Jonathan tweets chapters, I will add.
0: So so I will say that uh, I do find some some value in the end of the world section. Uh, talking mm-hmm. about the apocalyptic mindset. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like, actually, quite correctly, was part of the medieval mindset uh, at times. Mm-hmm. I, think that's, I think that's got some value. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of a lot of what's here is, of course, not historical research, but just kind of um, s- some Hollywood understanding of mm-hmm. the the medieval period. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Norm's defense, like that's th- th- that's the medieval period that D and D shoots for, the Hollywood right. one, right?
1: Well here's here's my thing though. here's my problem with this chapter. Um, um, the, the, so when you get to the part that says adventure possibilities, it gets it gets much better, okay? okay okay, but but the five pages before that where he's trying to just simply describe a medieval setting, uh-huh. he fails to say very well, but in D and d, Here's what it would be like. Sure, he he tries. Well, there's
0: a bunch of uh, in an AD and D campaign world uh, to start off a, a paragraph, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Or in a reasonable fantasy world. So that's a drum he's trying to beat, right? But I'm not but, saying I'm not, I'm not saying it works. I'm right. saying it's, it's, that it's
1: unsuccessful, though. The, right.
0: the idea was in his mind mm-hmm. that that's yeah. what he needed to be saying.
1: Yeah, but it, but it was unsuccessful. Yep. Um, uh, and then you get to, the, but the adventure possibilities uh, section actually is that part. It's, well, okay, now let's take that crap I was just slinging in the past five pages, and now I'm going to actually say how you could actionably use that to plan a D&D scenario. Yep. And some of it, I mean, it's like anything hit or miss, right? Like some of the ideas are, eh, but some of the stuff in here is pretty good. So the first half, half of this chapter you can do without it. The second half, not too bad. I wish that it followed some structure, either like the beginning of the book Uh or like in, in the middle in in tweets Uh chapters where it's actually saying, here's some advice. Oh, and here's some examples of that. Instead, it's more like, Oh, here's an essay about peasants. Mm Mm-hmm. And now here's some examples of adventure hooks in a town where right. they believe in, you know, religious taboos. Well,
0: well, well, right, and uh, all of the uh, story hooks just need to get boiled down a lot. Mm. They're they're way yeah. too yeah. long for what they're actually delivering. Right,
1: much more. And that's remember what I said about the ones in chapter three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Concise, well written, yeah. easy th- to understand, th- and then move on. That's what makes them a good example.
0: Uh huh. I I absolutely agree with that. Yep. Um, So that brings us to the end of the book. Um, There's a a summing up the perfect dungeon master at the end, which. It's a tongue in
1: cheek. It's a tongue in cheek description of a person doing every possible thing. And then admitting that you can't do every possible thing. So just have fun.
0: Yep. Um, So, I mean, the book ultimately lands on man editors. How do they work?
1: (laughs) Apparently they don't work (laughs) at least not on this book.
0: (laughs) There's literally no editor. Um, Yeah. um, Like I, I think I'd probably get away with telling a story that I heard today from Jonathan tweet. Um, I was was telling him I was going to be on a podcast talk about this. He said, uh, you know, a year or so later, he was talking to, uh, he was working on a Dark Sun adventure, Mm -hmm. and he wanted to use some of the mechanics in here, in his chapters, for skill challenge stuff in that adventure, right? Mm -hmm. And. The editor came back with, "We that's not how we do it here. It doesn't work like that." <laughs> but, but it's in this book. I wrote it. It's in this book. You published it. No, nice. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> <laughs> and that that sort of killed me uh, uh, because it's it's this like constant battle of um, what is D D and what can it be used for, and mm. when someone creates the tool to use it for a new thing,
1: and they publish D&D- it.
0: <laughs> and they publish it in official content, DD can now be used for that thing because right one of D D's points is its expansibility. That's always been <laughs> job one, be expansible.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Um and, and so that's and we talked about that last night in uh talking about Shrixhaven and you know, is DD the right system for this? Well uh, what is D D? Is D and narrow thing or an infinitely expanding thing to you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like to me now in Strixhaven, there are rules for relationships and studying for exams, and you can now use the studying for exams rules to like go case a joint or whatever. To maybe you want to use it to. Have your characters study a battlefield where there'll be a great battle tomorrow to like goose their roles because they understand the place better. That's fine. That's great.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. jo-
0: job done. DD does that now. Yeah. Uh, could there be a better system? Hypothetically, maybe, but you know, it's really convenient if you don't ever have to drill down into what the trade offs are. Yep. Yep. Like, that, that's a, I'm just saying that's a rhetorical cheat and I hate it.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, a little off topic, me, but
1: final thoughts on on this text.
0: Um, it really wants to be uh, DMGR one again. It, like DMGR one is the DMG two. Mm-hmm. This wants to be the DMG three. Um, it decidedly falls short of that mark collectively, but it is still. Uh, it still has some good material, and. It is sustaining and trying to move forward a lot of the game running conversations that Mm -hmm. started in 1974 in um, the strategic review and then moved into the forum of the dragon and have not even slowed down uh, when they moved to Twitter or wherever, Facebook, Mm -hmm. literally anywhere. Just... these conversations get rehashed year over year, month over month. um, And I'm not sure there's a lot of way to ever come to a conclusion in them, but that's okay. I guess maybe it'd be nice to move forward with new conversations.
1: I think that, um, you know, at the time this book was written, you know, if we think about the shift in, in the way that the game is presented, from 1E to 2E. And you think about, okay, yeah, all those conversations were already happening, but they were in the pages of Strategic Review and Dragon Magazine and and Polygon or Polyhedron. Um, And to have them compiled in an actual official DMs reference supplement is actually, I think, a worthwhile set of, of conversations to have in, in a, in a published book, you know, it's not in a giant DMG style, you know, 300 page hardback, right. It's, it's a, it's a 110 page or whatever, you know, soft cover, nice looking supplemental book that has a codification and discussion of a lot of those topics that is still open enough that, DMs can run the game the way they want to, you know what I mean? But I I feel like given the time, you know, what was going on in the world and in gaming at the time when that book was written, I think, I think it's a decent entry. You know, I, I land based at the first half of it and and I had a lot of bad things to say about some of the second half, but, but in terms of thinking back then to how conversations were being had and, and what was happening and, and how the game had changed from one E to two E, I, 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 e. Um, and I don't mean mechanically, I just mean, you know, things like what you and I talk about all the time, FACO, what's great about FACO, what's great about FACO is it put the knowledge into the player's hands about what they needed to roll to hit, which was not the case in first edition. So the way that the game was evolving into a game that was, that was more open with information, I think in that. In that respect, from that perspective, from that background, having these conversations in a book like this that was relatively affordable, relatively nice looking, still a DMs reference, still could be used as and considered real rules text, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah.
0: Um, I think that, I think it was definitely important in 1993, where I think, much as you're saying, the only other place for these conversations to even happen was the pages of dragon magazine, because most people didn't, you know, go on the internet in 1993. That wasn't an option Mm -hmm. and where it was even an option, the communities to discuss this stuff hadn't formed yet. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like, yeah, a, a book that contains the conversations and tries to like formulate a, a valuable answer for them is mm-hmm. a, a very real proposition then, and a non-zero one now, just much reduced to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think the conversations are much more accessible now just because oh, the yeah. conversations are being had on Discord channels and on Twitter and on Facebook. And, uh, and other social media sites where it's an immediate real-time conversation or at least a relatively quick conversation um, and not a write a letter and see when you get your magazine next month if it got published. Uh,
0: right. <laughs> right, and in 2009, 2010, like it was all exploding in blogs. Right. right. That's when I got my start in blogging.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So that I think winds us up then for this for this particular uh, for this particular book. So we're gonna we're gonna tackle DMGR six next time, and DMGR six is the book of villains, right? Yes, tis book of villains.
0: Yes, tis. I need to find that bad boy that on my is. shelf.
1: That is by Kirk Botula, and it has an editor, so that's a good. Hey. <laughs> As a, as a
0: sometime professional editor, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see my, my kind getting work.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so this book, again, has very nice size font. <laughs> I, I always call that out because I feel like there are some books that are so good, but their font is so tiny, I can't read some them. Some books okay, in the
0: DMGR so. series, Samuel
1: yes i know
0: (laughs) necromancers we're coming for you with fire (laughs) Uh.
1: so join us tomorrow when we do the dmgr6 part one um and otherwise you know omicron is no joke wear your mask stay safe that's right
0: we want to be gaming with y'all next year not warning you